Just what to do? He said, Wait in the water, in the water, Wait in the water children. Wait in the water, in the water. God's gonna trouble.
sound wonderful. The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. Hear the word of God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or even as a mischief maker. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear his name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week marks uh, two weeks since the shooting in Atlanta and a year since the shooting at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, one of our great historic African-American churches in the nation. As you recall, a year ago, a young man, a visitor, came in to a Bible study and prayer group and throughout that time sat through it. And by the time it was over, he had shot and killed nine of the people there, including the senior pastor. At the time, there was a lot of anxiety about whether this was a racial attack or whether it was an attack against Christians. A lot of churches were concerned about whether this was going to begin to uh, happen in other churches. Um, quite shortly thereafter, it came out that the shooter had said that he was trying to uh, start a race riot, so that seemed to be the roots of what he was doing there. But millions of Christians around the world suffer for their faith in Christ every day. Open Doors USA, which is an organization that keeps track of such things, says that 2015 was the most violent year in the modern world for Christians. That over 7,000 people died for Christian-related reasons during that year. And surprisingly, the nation where most of it happened and has for 14 years in a row, was North Korea. It seems that whether our suffering it looks like that or our suffering looks like something else, Peter has a lot of wisdom for us about how to respond in the midst of suffering. Peter himself writes from Rome, Nero's persecution has heated up. Peter will be dead within the year because of that persecution. And he writes to Christians who are out in the hinterlands of Turkey. Um, probably they will not experience violence, but they will, will experience discrimination and oppression from the people around them because of their faith in Christ. It seems that our suffering wears 
many different faces, doesn't it? Suffering from the flood, as the people are in West Virginia, from fires, we know more than we ever wanted to know about that, from loss, from illness, from betrayal, from violence, from neglect, from abuse. Everybody's suffering is different, isn't it? And some of you have endured an amazing amount of suffering in your life. There is no three-step quick fix for suffering because it is so different for each of us. But Peter's wisdom speaks to us in whatever kind of trouble that we find ourselves today. First, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that is coming upon you. We were talking in the Bible study this week. What is it that whenever we have trouble, we say, what did I deserve to get this? There seems to be almost a knee-jerk reaction. It's karma. It's not the Bible that says that you receive suffering because you deserve it, because you've done something to deserve it. In fact, Peter says, when you do right, you'll probably suffer. When you do right, people will criticize you. When you do right, people will not appreciate you, and they won't thank you, and they may not even notice when you do right. They may even take advantage of you. If suffering was about deserving, Jesus certainly wouldn't have suffered, would he? Because if there's anybody who didn't deserve it, it would be him. The promise that we heard earlier this morning from Isaiah says, when you walk through the waters, when you walk through the fire, God says, I will be with you. You notice he didn't say if you walk through the waters, if you walk through the fire, because he knows that it's a given. There'll be a time for each of us, probably many times, when we find ourselves there. The promise is not that God will keep us from trouble, build a great fence to protect us from it, but that he will be in the midst of it with us, walking with us right through it. One of the books that I've appreciated on the subject of suffering is by Tim Keller, who was a pastor in Manhattan. His book is Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. We had it on the library cart out on the patio this morning, and someone has already checked it out. I, I have a number of other books there about suffering, if that's something that you would find helpful after the service to check out. Keller says, there are many paths through the valley of the shadow, and God can find you on whichever one you're on. He finds you, he knows exactly where you are, and he walks with you right through that path. Peter also says, he warns of a fiery trial that is to come. This is a strange thing. Now, we know that in Rome, yes, Christians did suffer fire for their faith. Some were burned alive. There was arson uh, to their homes. However, out in Turkey, as far as we know from church history, 
That's not what happened. It was more of a social kind of a persecution that happened. So the commentators think that probably what is going on is that Peter is picking up an image that he used also in the first chapter of this book to talk about suffering as a forge, as a furnace, like when you put silver or gold into a forge to heat it. And the impurities come to the surface and are burned away, and it makes the metal more perfect. It makes it more beautiful, more refined. Suffering holds that kind of potential for us. There's opportunity in it. Our weaknesses come right to the surface, don't they? When something enters your life that is beyond your conventional copings that you can't deal with, with your regular skill set that's outside of your game plan and you're at the edge of your own personal inner resources and your own weakness, you can discover new depth to God's love and to God's grace in the midst of that. I read this week a quote about that from a, Christ, a man who became a Christian in Egypt. He is an Egyptian who became a Christian. And he, in his particular surroundings there, has suffered for his newfound faith in Christ every day. He says, in great suffering, you discover a different side to Jesus than you do in normal life. Pain and suffering bring to the surface all the weak points of your personality. And in my weakest state, I had an incredible realization of how much Jesus loved me, even right there in the midst of all of my weakness. I think it's troubling when we read about Christian leaders who respond to tragedy in the world by blaming the victims, by claiming that God has sent that trouble to somehow shape up whoever it is that's a recipient of it. But trouble doesn't seem to be distributed on the basis of soul-making need, does it? I mean, there are people with very bad souls who seem to just not really suffer much, and yet there are people with such great mature souls who in some cases endure a great deal of suffering. Not everybody changes for the good through suffering, do they? The fiery forge doesn't automatically make us better. The point of suffering can be the point of your greatest growth, and God can purify our character and strengthen us and use it to shape himself in us. Or suffering can just harden us and can make us bitter. What makes a good life is not good circumstances. Good experiences can be bad for you. Bad experiences can be good for you. It's really more about how your heart responds to whatever it is that is going on. A few years ago, we uh, took a hike through the Bristlecone Pines area. It's out along the 395. Hot, hot, hot out there. Lots of hot winds that blow the sand. 
Those trees have been exposed to the harshness of desert freezing winters, of all that harsh wind, and some of them have been torn apart. Some of them are just little stumps and rather ugly things. But most of them, the harsh conditions have actually made them beautiful. They have twisted in the wind, and they're reaching out into all sorts of beautiful shapes that have been polished by those sands that were blowing. Trouble could form real beauty out of it. The pictures that we put on the front of the bulletin are of uh, some work by Michelangelo that are sometimes called the prisoners or the slaves. They are pictures of figures that are, seem to be emerging out of the marble. And Michelangelo said that they represent what he understands to be his job as a sculptor, that he sees himself as the tool in God's hand. God has put that figure in the marble, and the sculptor's job is just to remove the extra, to take away what's not, not needed, and to leave behind the beautiful, perfectly formed image that God has created there all along. Peter says, too, when you are suffering, continue to do good. Three weeks ago, it was my dad's 100th birthday. Ricky, he's got you by a year. Um, he uh, lives at home with caregivers, and life is not very comfortable when, for him at 100. He has congestive heart failure, and he can't really breathe well. His brain is pretty deprived of oxygen, and he has pressure sores. So uh, life hurts. He sleeps probably 23 hours out of every 24. And I called him to wish him Happy Father's Day. They had to, I had to call three times before they could get him to wake up enough to be able to hear me. But he, he also can't really process what's going on. When, you know, you really can't have a conversation. And he's lost his filter. Now, when my dad, all these years, these caregivers, anybody who's cared for him has said, they really like caring for him because he's so polite and so appreciative. He is very kind. They'll give him a glass of water and he will say thank you. I mean, just for the smallest thing. But he's lost his filter. So they try to transfer him. They try to move him. And now he just is, it upsets him. He doesn't understand. He thinks he's being attacked. And so he tries to defend himself. And he has resorted to pinching in order to defend himself. We gave the caregivers a raise. <laughs> but you know, it doesn't take heart failure to make us lose our filter, does it? All it took was those two hot days last week, right? I mean, remember, your patience was thin, tempers flared, and then there was that person, you know who that is for you, that was just jumping on your last nerve the whole time. It doesn't take much. Peter says suffering or trouble is not an excuse for holding a grudge against somebody, for becoming bitter, for refusing to forgive. He said don't let somebody's behavior turn you away from what God is trying to do in you and through you. Don't Give that person the power 
to push you into becoming bitter, to push you into becoming unforgiving. In Peter's world, in the Roman Empire, it was a hierarchical, patriarchal society. It was nowhere close to a democracy, and there was little legal recourse for people who were suffering, for slaves, for Christians who were being oppressed, for wives who were in abusive marriages. But in our democratic world, it's quite different. Perhaps in our world, continuing to be good in some circumstances would mean actually working for justice to be done in the situation, working for the good to come out of whatever it is that is going on. Maybe it would even be for there to be some kind of legal change to right the wrong. We are not saying the justice doesn't matter. And in the midst of it all, Peter says, entrust yourselves to God. A friend of mine a few years ago was wrongly accused of a crime. She was, uh, her name was just besmirched and it was terrible. And she had not done anything at all. She fought it in the court, uh, which took a very long time and a great deal of money, and eventually she was exonerated. And she also, in the midst of it, entrusted herself to God. It isn't an either-or, is it? You can work for the justice in this situation while entrusting yourself to God, as she did. God sees every wrong that is done to you. He knows your hurt and your tormentor, if you have one, is not going to be the one who gets the last word. In fact, the last word belongs to God, the final judge. Jesus deserved none of what he suffered. He refused to carry, however, the burden of self-pity. He refused to carry the burden of revenge. He refused to carry the burden of bitterness. In the midst of it all, he handed it over to the Father. He entrusted himself to his Father's hands. And he even asked forgiveness for his tormentors. So Peter, as he comes to near the end of this letter, has urged us, don't be surprised when you suffer. Instead, choose to let God use it to refine you and to shape you. Continue to do good and entrust yourself to God, who, know, who you know is walking with you right through the fire. They're not just commands, are they? They're actually a miracle. Let us pray. This morning as we pray for people who are in great trouble, uh, we have a response to uh, the prayer, which is we lift our prayer to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayers. Let us pray. Faithful God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you enter into the hurt of our world, into our bottomless weakness. 
that you walk with us in our powerlessness. We entrust to you our own troubles and sufferings and the groans and yearnings of the world. Have mercy today on all in the world who are victims of the brokenness of nature, victims of natural disasters, of fires, people in West Virginia who are facing flooding. We lift our prayer to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Have mercy, O Lord, on all who have not enough for life, not enough bread, not enough clothing, not enough houses, not enough freedom, not enough dignity, not enough health, not enough hope. Pray for the victims, particularly of the attack in Somalia. And we ask that you would bring peace, bring restoration, and fullness of life. We lift our prayer to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Have mercy, O Lord, on your church who suffers persecution for your name. We pray for Christians in North Korea, in so many places throughout Africa, in India, in the Middle East. We lift our prayer to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And if today we might be the means by which you answer the prayer of another, may your spirit find us neither deaf nor defiant, but keen to do your purpose through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When you walk through the fire, it shall not consume you. When flames blow the mountains and come on the wind, though homes turn to ashes, my
at the end of the service, if you would find it helpful, there are prayer ministers up here by the font after each service who would love to pray with you. And also, if you would find it helpful to find a resource about grief, there are some on our library cart out on the patio. In life and in death, we belong to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen.